We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, on this episode of Drinks with Banks, we're so thrilled to welcome in former NFL executive and current media analyst Michael Lombardi. We're going to talk about the upcoming NFL draft, his expectations on a virtual draft from a general manager standpoint, why Tua Tungavaiola will fall in his draft rankings based on his health, and how Jalen Hurts may be overrated. The former Browns general manager dishes his thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr. and explains why working with Bill Belichick changed his life. Grab some whiskey and let's get drinking and banking. Welcome on into Drinks with Banks, working from home slash wasted from home. We're at home. We're doing our part during this crisis right now, just like you are. I think this has to be week four or five that we're rocking and rolling, drinking and binking from our house. And I'm so excited this week as we get ready for the NFL draft to have on our guest, former NFL executive, current media analyst, host of the GM Shuffle podcast on Cadence 13 and writer for The Athletic. Also working for VEASAN, this guy does every single thing. We've got Michael Lombardi. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Hi, Julie. It's good to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, we know that you've been busy all over the place, breaking down the NFL draft, looking at free agency. And before we get into all that good stuff, let's uh, we do have a drink on the show, Cheers. of course, yeah. as the moniker says. And, and what are we drinking today and what are we toasting to? Uh, well, we're toasting to good fortune, bona fortuna, and, uh, you know, and hopefully we can uh, get through this pandemic and people can save their lives and we'll toast to that. But I'm drinking, it's called Sinatra Select. Jack, It's Jack Daniels. Frank Sinatra was a huge Jack Daniels fan. And mm-hmm. he made so much money for the Jack Daniels brand that they, they crafted their own barrels for Sinatra. And they now make a Jack Daniels that's called Sinatra Select. So you can buy it at all good uh, liquor stores throughout the country. And uh, it's really kind of a smoother form of Jack Daniels. So cheers. I love that. Cheers. And I am drinking sort of my version of the Sinatra Jack Daniels, which is just some cheap bourbon that I had lying around. You know, quarantine. Use what you got. You got to use. Well, I always keep a lot of Jack. I always keep a lot of uh, Jack Daniels select around. I keep it away from my kids when they come to visit. That's for sure. I bet you know. I've never heard of the Sinatra Jack Daniels. I know yeah. that as someone who has a drinking a show, I should know that. It, it's a club you join. They send it to you. It comes in an incredible box, oh. and uh, it tells you the history of Sinatra. 
and, and his his relationship with Jack Daniels. So yeah, it's really kind of cool. And I, I'm a huge Sinatra fan, so it, it fit perfectly because I I like Jack Daniels. It just was perfect for me. I absolutely love that. And I'm in New York City right now. You are outside of Atlantic City. You're in Ocean City. Yes. Right. Very. Little beach town down south. We're we're kind of you're in the center epicenter of the pandemic. I'm yes, kind of, I am. I'm kind of closer to Delaware, actually. You know, we're in okay. the southern part of the state. We haven't been hit to the degree of Manhattan or Bergen or any of those counties up there. But you know, our town is closed down. You can't go on the beach. You can't go on the boardwalk. So it's been a it's been a I think it's been about four weeks now. I haven't seen my grandkids. I haven't seen my sons. Uh-huh. It's been hard. It has been really tough. It's like our whole world has just completely changed. And we mentioned that we're working from home right now. And I was even just listening to your latest podcast today for the GM Shuffle on Cadence 13. You've been doing tons of stuff from home. Take me through what your work situation's like, what you're doing for fun. What's sort of a day in the life of Michael Lombardi right now? Well, you know, it's it's funny because my life really, since the, since the, uh, the pandemic occurred. My, my life hasn't changed. I, I get up early and I like to write in the morning. I, I usually try to write early and I'm working on another book to go along with Gridiron Genius. And I write for The Athletic and I write for this website called The Daily Coach. George Raveling, one of the greatest human beings of all time, uh, was the former head coach at Iowa. He was the former head coach at Washington State and USC. And he's actually, Julie, the proud owner of the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. He okay. was on the stage with Dr. King that day, and as Dr. King was walking off, Coach Rav asked him for the speech, and he gave it to him. So he and I, wow. we, wrote this, we write this daily coach. It's it's a it's a email distri- distribution in the morning that it's for coaches, teachers, parents, whomever, to help them get inspired for the day. So I write that every day. I write that along with three other people. You know, mornings are writing, workout, walk my dogs, uh, and then come back. And I do some things with VEASAN in the afternoon, and I work on football and writing. So I'm I'm more of a writer now than I've ever been. And you're you're a bit of a renaissance man there, Mike, because you're you're interested in so many other things. Uh, Not only are you writing this new book, but I was listening that you're reading a ton, that you're you're hating on Homeland. Oh, man. Uh, Are you watching Homeland? Are you watching I'm not, but I heard that you're not a fan. You're killing it. I mean, anybody who watches Homeland now from season one has got to say, like, what happened to this show? Like, it's bizarre. It's like, where are the writers in the writing room? Like, somebody, like, it makes no sense. She just does whatever the hell she wants to do. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, I, I try to... You know, the only way you really become a better writer, and I'm certainly no writer, is you have to read more. And that's what mm. ultimately you spend most of your afternoon doing is reading. You know, it's funny. If you if I said to somebody, did you work out today? They would say, oh, yeah, I worked out. If you said to them, did you read an hour of a book? They would say, I don't have time to read. Well, your mind's as important as your body. And I think that's really the, the – I didn't practice this when I was in the league. I wish I had. But I think it's really helped me later in life just from a personal standpoint, how do you stay focused reading for that long when you have your phone and you have everything going off? Because I know I'm reading Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers, but even after a couple pages, I'm like, oh, I want to check Instagram. I want to check Twitter. How do you stay focused? Well, you, you really have to turn your phone on Do Not Disturb. When I wake up in the morning, I try to turn my phone on Do Not Disturb, and I don't look at it uh, until later in the morning. And then I try to just come in and journal and write. 
and stay away from emails until absolutely later in the day as much as I can. It's a challenge. I mean, I'm not as in need or demand as much. Radio shows will call me, but I can put the phone away and kind of get away from it. I think it's it's really one of the things I think one of Belichick's greatest strengths is he's very mindful. He can live in the moment, stay in the present, and I think that's really something that I've learned since I've been out of the league is to kind of you, we're not meant to be multitask people. We really can't. It's been studies done by numerous scientists, of, of psychologists, of how we pretend we can be, we can do two things at once, but yet we can't do really that. So I've kind of tried to just go back and say I'm staying on. I got to finish these writings. I've got to do this and move forward. And and it's good. I want to talk to you more about Bill Belichick later on in our program, but. You mentioned just what you took from him in his mindfulness and being in the moment. How do you think he was successful at that when he has so many things trying to take his attention all the time? You know, I, he's a remarkable man. I mean, he, he has a great memory. He writes things down, which I think you have to do. Uh, I think we can't remember anything unless we write it down. I think you have to be a meticulous note taker. But I, he has the ability to really, at the Eisenhower profile, what's urgent and important, he can focus on. And he gets to it. I mean, he's just a machine that eventually gets to it. He may not get to it on your time frame, but he'll get to it on his. And his time frame is all that matters. So he's very deliberate. And when he comes to work, there's really no playtime. He's working pretty much the minute he walks in the building to the minute he leaves, and it's constantly one after the other after the other. Even when he's on the treadmill, he's reading newspaper clips. So, wow. you know, it, it, it's pretty much he's got his routine down. And I think that's the only way you can be. I think you have to really get yourself into it completely, if, especially when you have so many jobs. Yeah, and you are also someone who has so many jobs, and we're all figuring out a new routine, a la Bill Belichick at this moment. We're going to talk more about the upcoming NFL draft that's happening on Thursday, April 23rd. When we return on Drinks with Binks, we got Michael Lombardi. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back in to Drinks with Pinks. I'm Julie Stewart Pinks. We are drinking some fine whiskey with Michael Lombardi, former NFL executive, current media analyst. He's got the Sinatra Jack Daniels. I've got Jim Beam, and I'm very jealous right now. But you know what? It's still getting the job done. We're in the quarantine right now. We're doing what everyone else is doing, watching this right now, staying home to save lives. And one of the things that is going to be different this year because of our environment is the NFL draft coming up on Thursday, April 23rd. And it's going to be a virtual draft. We've never seen anything like this before. Mike, you've been on both sides of a draft. When you think of what we're about to see, what are maybe some of your, your biggest question marks, your biggest concerns from, let's just say, uh, start with a general manager perspective. Well, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when we didn't really have virtual drafts, but we really didn't have coverage of the drafts. You know, my, when I was in college, uh, I went to Hofstra University, which is out in Long Island, and I would take the train into New York City at like 2 or 3 in the morning to wait in line at the Sheridan Hotel to get up into the balcony where there were like 500 seats up there to just watch the draft. There was no coverage, and there was obviously no cell phones. There was nothing. And, you know, then when I went to work for the 49ers in 1984, you know, where there was a little bit of coverage, but there wasn't much. 
and there was very little information. We had a combine. The first combine that we really ever had as a league was in 1984. It was in Phoenix, Arizona in the cold. We did it outdoors, believe it or not. Then in 1985, we went to New Orleans. We had one there. And then in 86, we moved to Indianapolis, and it's been there. But, but those drafts, we only invited 230 players. Those are the only players you had medical on. And there were so many guys that you had no medical on. There were so many guys. There were no pro timing days. There were no visits. There was no iPhone, you know, Snapchat, <laughs> any of that stuff, right? There was none of that. So I can remember in 86, Walsh was sitting at his desk, and we had just had one of the most incredible drafts that anybody could ever have. We ended up trading down, and we ended up with Larry Roberts in the second round. Then we picked Tim McHire. Tom Rathman, John Taylor, Charles Haley, Steve Wallace, and Kevin Fagan, all starters in the 1990 Super Bowl teams for the Niners. And, and we picked in the fifth round a kid named Patrick Miller, and Walsh didn't really want to pick Patrick Miller. He tested positive at the Combine for marijuana, which back in 86 was a no-no, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we, you know, we didn't know anything about it. And then we knew he tested positive, but we didn't understand the drug completely. So... He got mad that we turned the card in, and he got up, and he pointed to this player on the board and said, who's this guy? Michael, and I came running over. Well, Coach, that's Don Griffin from Middle Tennessee. He's, a, he's the Ohio Valley Conference Player of the Year, yada, yada. I went on this whole speech, and I got nervous as hell, Julie, because we had had no contact with Don Griffin. I could still see it to this day. It said 929 was the last time Ernie Plank was at Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro. So... Now, remember, this is 1986. There's no, there's no cell phones. There's no Internet. So literally, Don could have passed away, and I would have had no idea. Oh, my gosh. So I race to the telephone in the other room. I call, and I can hear people in the background. I ask him if he's healthy. He says yes. I have to take his word that he's healthy. Like, I, he could have had two broken arms. I wouldn't have known. Wow. And so that's really where we are today. That's where we are. The teams are going to have to do a lot of phone calls. They're going to have to trust the information that they're getting from the schools. Back then in 86, mm -hmm. schools would be more than happy to tell you everything they could about their players. They could they'd tell you everything. Today, they're not telling you anything. Hippo laws won't let them do it, and recruiting won't let them do it. So even if they have a guy on their team that they don't like, they're going to pump him up as much as possible because they know if they badmouth a player, it hurts their recruiting. So this is a whole world that you've got to enter into. Medically, I think, is the biggest concern with the draft. I think that's okay. where teams are worried about drafting a guy who's not 100%. Are there any concerns as it comes to just the virtual aspect of it? Is, you know, anything, um, you know, things getting leaked, things getting hacked? Like, are people worried about that? I think some guys probably like Dave Gettleman. He probably doesn't even know what hack means. You know, he's he's having a hard time just turn on his computer. I mean, there's some guys in the NFL that think when they turn on their computer, they could send a bomb to Moscow. I mean, they're just not that well and well schooled on the fundamentals of computers. But I think, look, we all have IT departments. NFL teams have mm -hmm. IT departments, and it's really, as Belichick would say, it's not that complicated. All you got to you look at your phone. You can talk to somebody. And it just comes down to being comfortable with having a changing environment around mm -hmm. you. And if you do that, you know, the information is still the same. I mean, we used to have to literally go get the notebooks to bring the notebooks 
to Coach Walsh to read the report on the players. You know, oh, give me Don Griffin's report. Okay, there I go. I'll run my fat butt over there and bring his report back. You know, and so now they all you got to do is look on a computer. He's got every report. The draft boards are on. I think we're making way too much of how hard it's going to be. I think the challenge is medically. I think that's the okay. challenge is who's not healthy. And some of these guys that didn't work out the combine, you're a little bit worried about how healthy they are and what their times are. You just have mm -hmm. to go back to the tape. Now, talking about a guy who isn't necessarily fully healthy, and you broke this news on your podcast at GM Shuffle, was that Tua Tungaviola didn't necessarily pass all of his physicals with different teams. And there was one that he didn't, that he didn't pass. Um, how do you think this plays out in terms of the draft? Because the Dolphins have been talking about Justin Herbert or Tua. Is that a smokescreen, or do you believe maybe that Tua ends up dropping? Look, I, I think Lee Steinberg has to do his job and talk about Tua. Today, I mean, he said that, you know, Tua, I, I made the comment that, that Tua is brittle. And Lee came back and said he's so brittle, he's throwing it. Look, we're not talking about his play. We're talking about can he sustain hits. And if you look at his 32-game career in, at Alabama, and you really study the, the basically the 18 games where he really had to play a full game and the game came down to the third or fourth quarter before it was decided, he's had five surgeries, the fifth metatarsal twice, the hit, the ankle, you know, and so there's been some real concerns about can he stay healthy? Everybody can pass a physical. That's easy. But can you pass a physical to play 12 years in the National Football League? And I was taught at a young age that past performance predicts future achievement. If a guy's been hurt a lot in college, he's probably going to get hurt a lot in the NFL. Mm -hmm. It's just human nature. The game's faster. The players are bigger. And Tua, as Nick Saban said today, uh, or the other day on ESPN, he said that Tua needs to learn to throw the ball away, to not take the hits. I think that's his game, and I think that's what he likes to do. I would be surprised if Tua had an eight- or nine-year career in the NFL. I think he's going to get injured because he's smaller. He's only – you know the one thing about all his injuries, Julie? No one talks about how tall he is. He's only six feet tall. Usually that would be the conversation, right? But what the injuries have overshadowed actually how little the guy is. If you look at – as you mentioned, his height, the fact that he doesn't throw away the ball well, that he's brittle, couldn't you then conceivably say that he would drop like even further than that? Like, Why would anyone then want to invest in a guy that has all these red flags? I think it's a really good question. I think that's the – I think that – and I think we'll learn. I think that there's teams picking in that four, five, six range that see Herbert with less concerns than Tua. Yeah, and it kind of comes down to that sometimes, right? Like, who's going to hurt me less in the long run in terms of this decision? Who's uh, less of a risk? Um, but okay. we've got plenty more we want to get into on the NFL draft, free agency, and beyond with Michael Lombardi on drinks. So thanks. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Drinks with Binks. Julie Stewart Binks drinking alongside Michael Lombardi, who is the former general manager and vice president of the Cleveland Browns. You're with the Patriots from 2014 to 2016, assistant to the coaching staff. And former guest Scott Pioli says very good things about you. He is he's a he's a big fan of you, and I know you guys spent some time. Yeah, I guess it was we Cleveland. 
Yeah, right? We, Think we you guys would have been together? Really, we had a really good, uh, interesting combination of people in Cleveland when we started. When Bill came in 91, Scott came, I think, in 92. We had Jim Schwartz. We had Thomas Dimitrov. Mike Tannenbaum was there for a little while. Eric Mangini was there. Uh, Kirk Ferenc was and Murderer's there. Row. Pat <laughs> huh? Yeah, it was a lot, yeah, of, murder, a lot yeah. of really talented people in one building. And, and I mean, it, it's a tribute to Bill's ability to bring people in, you know, and define their jobs and then let people work at it. And, you know, it was really, we had some things going in Cleveland. Unfortunately, we moved the team in 1995, which pr prohibited us from winning. Yeah, that is that's difficult. But speaking of the Cleveland Browns, they we are we are recording this on a Wednesday, even though this airs on Friday. And there was some there's some rumors out there today that a potential trade between the Browns and Odell Beckham Jr. and the Vikings. Now that has been shot down, but we're not necessarily sure what this means. Sometimes where there's smoke, where there's fire. First of all, what do you make when you see reports? and then things saying fake news. Like, how do you now being a media person and also have been a general manager, how do you, what do you make of that? You know, I, I was really lucky, Julie. I worked for Al Davis, who, who taught me to never believe anything you hear, read, or see in the paper, and always reverse engineer it. So like today, let's take this Beckham rumor. You know, the, the, the Vikings, I think, have maybe $12 million worth of cap room. They've signed Kirk Cousins to an extension. They want to sign Dalvin Cook to an extension. They've dumped players because they were in some cap trouble. They've got a couple first-round picks this year that they have to sign. The idea that they're going to take on $14 million, 11 of it being guaranteed in Odell's Beckham's contract, seems to me to be rather uh, not viable when you consider the fact that they have other things on their agenda they need to do. Would Beckham make them a better team? Probably. But when you're putting together a team, you've got to look at long-term, unlike what the Rams have done. The Rams mm. went so short-term on what they did with their football team that 50% of the players, 50% of the playtime from their Super Bowl year, 50% of the playtime from their Super Bowl year will not be on their football team this year. That's, wow. a, lot of, that's a lot of playtime they're going to miss. So... And, and because they went all in, they moved all their chips to the middle of the table. You know, they kind of got drunk on Sinatra Select on one year, and now they're paying a huge price for it. And they don't have any depth of the football team. They've got a zillion dollars in dead money. So I don't think the Vikings, so it never added up to me. It didn't make any sense. You know, so when something doesn't make sense, like, you know, some team's going to trade up from the 20s to get to number two. Like, unless you've really made that trade, you know how hard it is to get up there from way back okay. there and how much you have to give up. It's just not pliable. And we have so many people that are constantly putting rumors out. Mm -hmm. Colin Powell has this great line, and I think it applies to the world we live in today with the coronavirus and the way we get our information. I wrote about this on The Daily Coach, and Colin Powell says, he always says this, tell me what you know, tell me what you don't know, then you can tell me what you think. And I, and I think we have too many people telling us what they think without really telling us what they know. Okay, yeah, that is a, that's a very fitting quote for this situation and also for the rest of our world. Looking at, curious just from your perspective, because you obviously have insight into this that none of us have. Have you ever 
facilitated a deal through media, through agent sources like that? Because sometimes we see contract posturing, but do do general managers ever do that? All the time. I mean, that's where agents get their information. They get them from the GMs. You know, hey, look, I'm interested in your player. See if you can get something. See if see if you can talk to them about moving. There's all sorts of back channel negotiations that go on. I mean, look, I would say Schefter gets. If you were to take Adam Schefter, who's essentially a news feed for ESPN, right? You know, Schefter doesn't really need ESPN. ESPN needs mm-hmm. Schefter because he just tweets stuff out that's news. And so if you were to take the pie, his pie and say, where does he get the bulk of his information from? You know, I would say he probably gets 25% from agents and 75% from people in the NFL. But it works both ways. You know, people in the NFL use him to try to help him get information back to them. So right, yeah. that channel stuff that's constantly going on that does lend itself to be true. But in this case, with the Vikings, it just didn't make sense. They, they got to make sense, you know. I right. do think what makes sense is that, that they would like to get rid of Beckham. They owe Beckham $11 million this year of guaranteed money. But once they pay that guarantee, they're off the hook for Beckham for the mm-hmm. next few years. So they get the benefit of a contract three years from now for the next three years. It's pretty good. I do think the Browns, because they're in analytics, and if we go back to this draft, I do think the Browns will trade down in the first round. I think Denver's trying to trade up, trying to get above the Raiders, trying to get a receiver, and I think they have targeted the Browns, and I know there's ongoing discussions about them trying to move out of that first pick. So you mentioned, though, that you think the Browns would try to get rid of OBJ. What is it about him? And take us through if if this were your vantage point and you were back with the Browns. You have this player who's, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the league, but he does come with some baggage. Is the baggage enough of a burden that you would it would overlook his skill on the field? You know, I mean, I think you can't. I mean, look, he, he is talented, he works hard, he's in shape, but there's also part of being part of a team part of doing what's right for the team. You know, mental toughness is defined by doing what's right for the team when it might not be right for you. So let me ask you a question back. Would Odell Beckham do what's right for the team when it might not be right for you? Um, yeah, I think he would. Think I'd he like, would? I, I, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm, I'm polite and generally nice, although I'm sure my I'm producers wouldn't that. say that. I'm but not that a little bit. I think, I don't think he would. But that's, for me, I think it's, it's the problem is his team environment, where he fits, how he fits, and all that. And I'm not sure that's, that's the case. So I think he becomes a little bit problematic in terms of the team and what he's doing. I think ultimately uh, it, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge coaching him because he's not really part of, here's the biggest issue, he's not part of the off-season program. He works out, he's in shape. Right, but he's almost like he has this incredible following to him, and he can get people to follow him. And so when he doesn't work out and he doesn't comply, you're fighting that all the time. Right. That's a problem. So then, if you were the Vikings, wouldn't you see all these red flags and say, "No, we're definitely not." Well, you mentioned you don't think this is going to happen, but if you are another team, you know, in theory, you'd be like, "Yeah, I don't want to work with this guy. It's not worth it." Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think to me the problem really is, is for Minnesota it becomes really a cap issue. You know, they they went ahead, they did they did Cousins, 
they've got to sign Cooks, you know, and they only have they have two first round picks, which are going to eat up some cap room. You know, they mm-hmm. got rid of Diggs essentially because a cap, b and he was a diva. So why would you take on another cap charge at a diva? That didn't make sense to me. Okay. Well, we will have to monitor this ongoing situation. And by the time this airs on Friday, who knows? Uh, it doesn't look like this has any legs at this point, but stranger things have happened. We have a whole lot more to come on Drinks with Things with Michael Lombardi, including much more to get you on the NFL draft and a number of big names making some big money in the NFL. We'll tell you who that is when we come back. Hey guys, welcome on back to Drinks with Thinks. We are drinking some whiskey here with Michael Lombardi. You remember him as a general manager and vice president of the Cleveland Browns. He was with the New England Patriots, has three Super Bowl rings, now works in the media, GM Shuffle podcast on Cadence 13, writer for The Athletic, author, and now you are looking to write another book during the quarantine right now. And you've been very inspiring with many different quotes from (laughs) whether it's from Colin Powell to um, I forget who you, you quoted earlier on in the show, but I'm taking my notes because what will help me remember is, is reading because that's what I've learned is you read an hour a day. It's just going to help you be more mindful and more present. And speaking of the present, we've got the NFL draft coming up next week on Thursday and at this point Mike Joe Burrow has to be universally known as the number one pick in this draft no doubt I mean I think Joe Burrow is the best player in the draft I mean he took a took LSU to a national championship dominated he won games with his mind he won games with his feet he won games with his arm he's got an uncanny ability to make throws he just has a natural feel to play the position and I think it, it just is perfectly uh, competitively uh, perfect for what the Bengals need. I think if you go back and look, I said earlier in the show, past performance predicts future achievement. If you just go back mm-hmm. and look at Joe Burrow's high school career, he's two-time All-State guard in, in the state of Ohio, first team in basketball. That says a lot. Ohio is good basketball, really good high school basketball. He only became a three-star recruit out of high school. Ohio State took him. That same year, they took Dwayne Haskins. And I think Urban Meyer had a sense of loyalty and appreciation for Haskins, who was a five-star player. And as time changed, you know, Burrow really never was able to, was never really allowed to compete against, against the quarterbacks there. He was always kind of the other guy. Scout team did that. Graduated in four years, never said a word. Three years, never said a word and then transferred to LSU and just blossomed his career. I think he's a quality person. I think he's got great character in terms of his leadership and the culture he's going to bring to to the Bengals is needed badly. And when you look at their team, I think he gives them some hope. Right, and he's already handled so much of the spotlight, and he has sort of a fun demeanor about him when he – lets the trolls roll off his back, you know, all the different media attention, which he undoubtedly will get in Cincinnati as that first overall pick, as we assume that to happen. Now, who do you think makes the biggest splash when it is next Friday? Who do you think we'll be talking about the most? 
Well, I think we'll be talking about where Tua goes. I think there's no doubt. I mean, we are, as a country, we're in love with Alabama players. You know, there's the whole movement of tank for Tua was created. The worldwide leader was generating that as much as anybody. You know, I think people in the league don't see it as the worldwide leader does, but the tank for Tua Mets it. You know, everybody wants them. And I think we're going to really decide on who made the move to get them. I think we'll be surprised at the end of the day by Friday next week who actually drafts them. And as we analyze the draft, I think we'll see a lot of these mocks that we're looking at right now probably aren't very accurate. Yeah, and I want to push you on that because I know that you said, so we've seen Jalen Hurts' stock go up. I heard that you said you're not a fan of him in being selected high. And uh, Maybe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, what are you what do you think about Jalen Hurts? You no, know, I think look, my our approach in Cleveland and New England and Scott probably talked about this with you as well. Our approach always was when we graded players was not to talk about what round, was to talk about what the player could actually accomplish once he became a pro. And for me, I think it, the verbiage always dictates where you should pick the player. If I said this guy is a day one starter, he can dominate the game. He will make a huge impact. If that's the verbiage, then that guy's going to get picked in the top 10 players. Mm -hmm. If I say this player is a potential starter, he has some traits that he could demonstrate the ability he's going to take time to develop, that's the third or fourth round pick. That's the way I describe Jalen Hurts. I don't watch tape on Jalen Hurts and say, wow, that guy is a boy, he's got it. And I think if you're taking somebody in the first round, You've got to be able to say, without a doubt, this guy's going to come in and start, or he's our projected starter. I did a study for, I do it all the time, but in the last uh, month, I, I went over, since 2002, there have been 54 players drafted in the first round to play the position of quarterback. 28 of them are just bona fide bust. 11 of them are what we would call average players. 10 of them are really good. And then there's about six that we're still not sure of. So there's a huge margin for error at quarterback. 28 names just mm -hmm. flat out can't play, whether it's J.P. Loesman, you know, Brady Quinn. They just couldn't play. They all came with cachet, and, and, and everybody loved them. I mean, nobody loved Brady Quinn more than the worldwide leader. I mean, everybody oh, loved yeah. him. Yeah, was huge, huge out of Notre Dame when that yeah, was going I mean, on. So couldn't play in the NFL, wasn't an NFL, but you could see it on tape. Then there was Jimmy Clausen, who ended up going in the third round. He's better than Brady Quinn. Well, neither of them can play. All, all, you know, they could play in college, but to the next level. And mm -hmm. I think there's so many mistakes with quarterbacks that you have to be really careful. And this movement with Hurts seems to me to be along those lines of, of play. That, that's why the next book I write is going to be about bias. It's going to be about yeah. our decision-making and how we allow bias to come in to our decision-making. And it affects our ability to think clearly. So then in what way do you feel that bias is playing a role as it pertains to Jalen Hurts and his draft stock? Well, I think the media, I think there's a, it's a little bit like a political campaign. You know, sometimes, I, I say this all the time about football, about coaches. The coaches get elected to their head coaching job. They never get selected. There's always a movement that's created. You know, the media loves the guy. He's done a great job at this place. It, it's a campaign. It's a political movement. And I see Hurt being more of a political movement than people that I talk to and respect saying, man, that guy's got some really unique skills. I think if he gets an opportunity to come in. Now, look, did he play well with Alabama? Yeah, there's no doubt. He beat out Tua. He was ahead mm -hmm. of Tua in the depth chart. 
But make no mistake about this, every time they wanted to throw the ball, they felt like they needed to go to Tua to do it. And at the halftime of the Georgia game, when they were down and they couldn't run the ball, they went to Tua to throw it. And that was important. And then he went to Oklahoma, which is a wonderful offense. But Oklahoma does a lot of different things offensively that we don't do in the NFL. And it makes the quarterback look better than he really is. And I think you had to take your hat off to Lincoln Riley. But they run the ball more than people give them credit for in that offense. And I think you have to be really careful about taking that player and thinking it's going to transpose into the NFL. And we have to go to break quickly. But I, I got to ask you, though, why would anyone who in the media would want to be be pushing for Jalen Hurts to get drafted early on? Why would that be their campaign? That's what agents do. They push their guys. And, you know, it's like in the movie The Godfather. You know, we have friends in the newspaper business, don't we? And they push (laughs) that. And that that creates a movement. And, And you have to be completely objective to it. Yeah, well, I'm sure you saw that definitely when you were in charge in Cleveland. And I definitely have to also see The Godfather. That's one of my movies on the quarantine list at this moment. Uh, We got to take a quick break. We'll be back. More Drinks with Banks with Michael Lombardi. Stay tuned. Hey guys, welcome on back to Drinks with Thanks. We are sipping on some whiskey with Michael Lombardi, former general manager, vice president of the Cleveland Browns, was an assistant to the coaching staff in New England and has now been taking on the media world in many different ways on podcasting, writing, and everything in between, imparting his wisdom here with us today. And it's got to ask you so much news. It's really been nice, actually. Of course, while we're in quarantine, we're in isolation, no sports going on. But we've been able to still get football in the terms of free agency, the draft. It just, it's it's at least sort of um, wetting our appetite during this time. And one of the big stories of this week was Christian McCaffrey becoming now the highest paid running back ever in your opinion is this good or bad for business you know initially my reaction would be i wouldn't have signed him to an extension i mean he's uh, you know he had over 280 carries 117 receptions this year a year ago he had 250 carries 110 receptions they won five games last year you can't even name me who the running back was at miami after they traded kenyon drake and they won five games too but i think with Matt Rule, I think he's trying to change the culture a little bit there in Carolina. I think he felt like that McCaffrey's one of their better players. And they basically signed them to a four-year extension. They have two years left. So essentially it comes in at about $12 million a year. And the last two years really aren't guaranteed. So, and I think though Joe Brady is really smart. I think he'll use McCaffrey more as a receiver than a true running back. When you break McCaffrey down as a running back, and there's two backs in the backfield, he averages under four yards a carry. When he's in shotgun, he averages under four yards a carry. He's really good when the field spread, when he can play point guard, and he can kind of be as the Allen Iverson and as the back back there, right. shifty and move. That's when he's really effective. I think less of McCaffrey can mean more in terms of production. I think as a receiver, if they utilize his skill set as a receiver too, because I think he can be dynamic as a receiver, then Mm -hmm. I think it's a valuable contract. Yeah, I mean, if he has those skills, it would seem like let's also do that if we're paying that, that kind of money. Now, speaking of Carolina, of course, Cam Newton, 
not still with the team. And I was watching one of your segments on VEASAN, and you said when you're watching the draft and, and if the Chargers do not select a quarterback, you should go put your money on Cam Newton going to the Chargers. Is that still the case? Yeah, I think so. Look, I, I, Bill Walsh told me this years ago in 1984 when I first started working for him, he said, you know, the NFL gives you an opportunity to get better. You just got to be willing to take advantage of it. And I think this is a great opportunity for the Chargers. You know, everybody has them down taking a, a quarterback. And I think when you break down their team last year, they were 28th in sacks. They had a hard time stopping the run. They couldn't get off the field on third down. They had numerous problems with their offensive line. Most people think their defense is great because in the two Kansas City games, they played fairly well. But when you really dig deep into the numbers, they were bad in the red zone, bad on third down. They need help defensively. You know, and I think that if they were to draft an Isaiah Simmons or they were drafted Derek Brown and then sign Cam Newton, mm -hmm. wow, they could be really a factor. But if they draft Tua, how good will they be? And how much of a risk are they taking? You know, people say, well, you know, they need Tua to go fill up the stadium. I've lived in Los Angeles, okay? Like, I don't think anybody's going to just drive. <laughs> no nope. It's going to take winning to get people there, right? The mm -hmm. Rams, when they finally won some games, people came out. It wasn't because they had Jared Goff, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy from California. It was because they won games. And I think that, that people make so much out of, well, they need name power to get people in the seats. I, I, I think you need to win to get people in the seats. Yeah, no one's going to be filling up any L.A. stadium, not to mention we don't know what's going to happen with fans in stadiums at that point. People will yeah. be watching the games on TV, that's for certain. So that's sort of what yeah, we're looking at. Dan Crockett, he's building a brand-new stadium out there, and the governor of California, you know, is, pretty, is going to be pretty strict on when people are actually going to be able to gather. You know, that 80,000-seat stadium in, 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 in Englewood might really only be about a 20,000-seat stadium when it's all said and done amount because everybody's got the six, six seats apart from one another. Yeah, I know. That is definitely something I had, hadn't thought of, especially as we head into this season. Now, we'll talk New England specifically in a bit, but Tom Brady going to the Bucks, something that really just you know, took everyone by storm. What do you expect from him there? You know, I, I wrote a column about that. I, you know, it, it hurts me. I mean, I won two Super Bowls because of the greatness of Tom Brady. And I love him as a human being. As nice as Tom appears on Instagram and, and Twitter, he's really genuine when you know him personally. He's a tremendous human being. I think he just got tired, Julie. I think he got tired of everything that comes with being a Patriot. I think you could see it by his behavior after he's left. He did Howard Stern. You know, he's on Instagram way more than he ever was before. He does, you know, he's promoting the Brady brand way more than he ever did before. I, I think he's at a point in his career where, you know, the six Super Bowl trophies gave him personal freedom, where he just wants to be able to be Tom Brady, the entrepreneur, Tom Brady, the businessman. And I think he deserves it, you know, and I think he deserves it. And I'm happy for him. You know, I'm also happy that, they kind of parted ways in the right manner. It was probably best for both to leave each other. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, the handcuffs are sort of off. We got to see much more of his personality when he did do the interview on Howard Stern, which I think made him much more likable and also helped us understand his relationship with Bill Belichick. Because, you know, we don't, as fans, as, as um, 
you know, as consumers of the game, we don't know what that's like. We just sort of go off what we see on Twitter and Instagram and all that. So it'll be curious to see how he does in Tampa and then what he does beyond that. Because as you mentioned, he's Tom Brady, the the brand now in a way. Yeah. We have a, a whole lot more we want to talk to you about with the New England Patriots, but we got to take a quick break. We are drinking and binking with Michael Lombardi. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everyone. This is Drinks with Binks. I'm Julie Stewart-Binks. We are drinking with Michael Lombardi, former NFL executive, current media analyst, GM Shuffle podcast. You got to listen to that with Adnan Virk, also a former guest on Drinks with Binks. You guys talk about football, but you also talk about movies and I mean, TV how shows you hate. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's got an encyclopedia memory about movies. He's just flat out remarkable. I mean, I we were talking today about as good as it gets. He's quoting lines mm. that. It's simple plan. I mean, he's truly remarkable, his love of movies. He is yeah. The, he's the Christopher Moltisanti of movies. Yeah, I think he should have gone <laughs> into directing. I know. Well, maybe that, that serves him well right now as we're all consuming movies. I watched Goodwill Hunting for the first time last night yeah, because uh, welcome to 1997, I, I guess. <laughs> wow. You, you, you've got to get up your – I mean, Goodwill Hunting. I was in Canada. I grew up there. You know, things take a lot longer to get up there. So uh, it, was, it was great. But um, getting back to you, we had some good stories. You were with the New England Patriots. Tell me what it was like being with the Patriots. What made that experience unique? from any of the other ones you've had? Well, I mean, look, it's kind of where I was, I was, uh, it, it, you know, I see it as the Patriots, but with Bill, you know, we go back to 1991 together and, and we started kind of our, or really our careers together because I became a player personnel director in Cleveland and we developed the grading system in Cleveland. We kind of formulated our ideas and to go to New England and to watch the work that, that he did in, in Cleveland where if you go back and read any of those, the commentary about him as a coach in Cleveland, it's hilarious. You know, he's the greatest coach of all time. And to then join him in New England and win a Super Bowl with him was one of the greatest experiences of my life, to enjoy it, to be around him, to know that he hasn't really changed. He's the same coach that he was the day he walked in to Cleveland in 1991 and handed me a piece of paper that basically described what he wanted as a football team. When he gets into the Hall of I think I have it in one of my file cabinets over here. When he goes into the Hall of Fame, I'm going to give it to the Hall of Fame as part of the, 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 the display that should be for Belichick. So for me, it was the greatest three years to win two Super Bowls, to help him build a team, to take part in it, to be part of a team, and, and around a lot of good guys, too. You know, my first year in the NFL, we won a Super Bowl in 1984. I didn't know anything. I mean, it was a blank tape. I had no idea what I was doing or talking about. I was driving Bill Walsh around in a car. But, you know, the players on that 84 team were tremendous. And the players on the New England 2014 and 2016 were great. And the one thing I've learned in my career is great teams have great people in the locker room. Right. Well, you've been afforded these unique experiences alongside Bill Belichick. You wrote the foreword to your book that you have. And, and what would you say is the most, uh, in what way is he most misunderstood? Because we don't know anything about him. 
I, I think that, that, that he's really, he only cares about the six, I used to tell the start Modell, the owner of the Browns, when Modell used to complain about how he wasn't very friendly with the media and how he wasn't engaging. I used to say, all right, look, his audience are those 60 players in the room. That's what he cares the most about. And they all love him, and he's honest, and he'll tell you the truth. You may not want to hear it, but he's going to tell you the truth. Uh, he's going to talk to you about what he, what he believes is the best way to win. His ego's never involved in the decision. It's always about putting the team first. And I think that's very few people that can behave and win six Super Bowls that have that kind of uh, ability to stay the same person that I met mm -hmm. in 91 was the same person that I left in 2017. Well, that's remarkable. I, uh, I actually saw him at a wedding I was at last year for Field Yates from ESPN. And I thought I'd go say hi, but I was very intimidated because he's not the kind of guy that's a mingler at a wedding, let's just say. He is all business all the time. Well, the fact that he went to Field, you know, so it's a little yeah, you know, Bill's first, Bill's wife, Debbie, his first wife, Debbie, you know, and Fields' mom were, were very close. And, and Bill grew up around Fields. And now that Fields is in the media, mm -hmm. and, you know, and just the fact that he went to that wedding tells it you is. really what you need to know about Bill. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, we have to take a short break. We're going to be back with more with Michael Lombardi. Don't go anywhere. We are drinking and binking on Fubo. Well, we've had a great time drinking some whiskey here with Michael Lombardi talking about the upcoming NFL draft, free agency, and what it's like to be one of Bill Belichick's best friends. Michael, where can we find more of your work? Well, I, I, every morning on The Daily Coach, at the Daily, at the Daily underscore Coach. I'm on Twitter, NFL, um, M. Lombardi at NFL. And I work, work VEASAN every day, 12 to 1, Sirius 204 on uh, the radio, and then, of course, on, on some television platforms. And uh, I write every week for The Athletic. I'm gonna cover the draft for The Athletic. So between writing and television and podcasting, the GM Shuffle, which comes out every Wednesday, kind of busy. Yeah, you're a pretty busy there. And not to mention you are doing what your part, staying at home during the quarantine, just like we are. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you guys next time on Drinks With Things. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.